This is Josh Korda of Dharma Punks, New York. My Buddhist pastoral work is supported by donations only. If you'd like to help, Venmo Dharma Punks NYC or use the PayPal button on dharmapunksnyc.com. I hope you enjoy this podcast and thanks for your support. Hi there. Thanks for stopping by. And uh, tonight's talk is on the subject closure. What is what is closure? When is it possible? When is it not possible? How to go about it? So I hope something's of value for you in this talk. And um, after we go through the talk, there'll be time for to meditate on the theme. And then there'll be time for questions. So we come to meditate, spiritual practice, therapy, seeking emotion regulation. Emotion regulation is one of the most important needs. Be regulated from states of either worry, stress, anxiety, or from tired, fatigued, overwhelmed states of uh, uh, brain fog or depression back up into the window of tolerance where we are capable of social engage, relaxed interaction, where our frontal lobes are capable of overriding impulses, where we feel comfortable in our own skin. And of course, this period of um, social distancing due to the pandemic uh, has challenged. The most vital tool of emotion regulation is, of course, co-regulation with others, connecting, bonding, disclosing affects, receiving empathy and attention and uh, attunement. And that's a uh, way that we uh, classically keep ourselves in the emotionally healthy realm of social engage which is known as homeostasis, or the window of tolerance. One of these uh, events in life, besides emotional isolation, that can cause dysregulation is unfinished, what I would call unfinished business. It's not a clinical term. It's those situations in life where after losses, setbacks, disturbing interpersonal events, when we are bombarded with memories, feelings of grief, uh, self-pity, and as a result, we're unable to focus on the here and now, enjoy the present moment. Most importantly, the uh, story of what happened keeps on returning and creates rumination or preoccupation. When this happens, it means that the right hemisphere is particularly dominant. The right cingulate and amygdala, right amygdala, are continuously bringing our attention back again and again and again to an event uh, or a loss, a disturbing experience with someone or with people that continually reactivates the feelings, or perhaps the, the feelings will remain slightly below the level of awareness and will just be caught up in re-narrating over and over and over again the story. So why do we 
get caught up in these narratives? Well, generally the way we regulate, auto-regulate when we're alone, emotions is we employ the left hemisphere, Broca and Wernicke's regions, left dorsolateral circuits, and stuff like that, to summarize and represent painful experiences into a story, a very simple story or an idea that makes sense of what happened. And when we make sense of an experience, when we come up with an interpretation that feels right, it not only offers us a sense of control, but it creates a resolution. The left hemisphere is capable of essentially inhibiting right, uh, the right cingulate, which folk can grab hold of our attention. It can inhibit it when we come up with a story or an interpretation that feels simple, clear, complete. And that interpretation gives us a way to represent the painful event in our mind. And it, it helps essentially uh, soften the emotional blow. It allows us to uh, in some way move forward in our life. So for example, when we go through a breakup in life, we might simplify the relationship in terms of, oh, my ex wasn't emotionally available, or they were still caught up in their previous relationship, or they didn't want to have kids or whatever, or they wanted to have kids and I didn't. We try to summarize complex experiences into a very simple set of ideas or narratives. And we do this because unconsciously we're aware that once we come up with a story that feels just right, it helps inhibit the emotional pain associated with these events. And it helps keep the memories from continuously popping up. It's for this reason that the left hemisphere notoriously, as Gazaniga and so many other neuroscientists have noted, doesn't like ambiguity. It finds not knowing why things happen to be unsettling because when we don't, when there's ambiguity, when we don't understand why painful things happen to us, there's a lack of clarity. And when that happens, we naturally tend to blame ourselves after painful events. So when there's an absence of a clear, simple, encapsulating story, we, we regress back to that childhood tendency of after disappointing events, we blame ourselves. We believe there must be something wrong with me. Or sometimes we'll just get caught up in blaming others and pin the fault on, each, on them. But that, that blame characteristic uh, activates the sense of unfairness or something's wrong and it keeps the story and the memories popping up again and again and again. It's especially important to note that the key is ambiguity. When we don't have a sense of knowing, when there's a sense of incompletion, when there's this not knowing why, when there's this feeling that we can't concisely 
encapsulate events into a very simple interpretation. Then the left hemisphere's ability to inhibit the right and keep the memories from popping up and this, the events from jumping into memory and the emotions from being refelt is compromised. We no longer can inhibit them. We need those very simple stories. So seeking closure is an attempt to remove ambiguity. We look very often for missing info that will help us complete the stories in a way that feels uh, efficient and feels uh, complete and feels uh, in some way satisfying. So for example, if a loved one dies, uh, many people will be caught up in the enormity of the event and so will become caught up in finding out the events that led to the loved one's death. Who was at fault or what went wrong or what happened? In this, we're trying to create a story of what happened so that we don't have to continually feel the loss. We don't have to continually live in the unfairness, the ambiguity, why does this happen, the, the overwhelming sense of vulnerability and fragility of life. Another example is when someone out of the blue treats us very poorly or um, uh, suddenly ghosts us, disconnects from us, or whatever, that can trigger a lot of ambiguity and not knowing. And so we might ask mutual friends, why did they do this? We're looking for, like, what is the mo motivation that led them to disconnect from us? Uh, some people become fixated on the idea of meeting with an ex after they've gone through a relationship breakup to discuss why the relationship ended as if that information was not already available. What they're looking for, even though they really have all the information, they're looking for some other way to tell the story so that the memories don't keep popping up, so that the feelings become regulated, so that we can put it past us. It's a it's essentially a factor of our the dominant left hemisphere regains control and inhibits emotions by representing experiences into simple stories. And when it can't do that, it can't inhibit the emotions. And that's when we feel unsettled, when we feel uncomfortable. So hoping there'll be some new information or way of perceiving the events is understandably appealing to us, but it often worsens the rumination and the pain rather than alleviates. As uh, I've experienced see working with people over the last uh, 16 years, seeking closure may be at times an attempt simply to relive tra traumatic events. The right hemisphere actually is actually dominating beneath the agenda and simply wanting to relive the painful events over and over again. They're dragging out, in essence, a painful experience. Or sometimes more likely, 
when people want to meet with exes or get caught up in figuring out why someone died or why something happened and keep seeking more information, what they're really trying to do is undo a loss. It's a form of denial. It's a lack of acceptance. Very commonly with anxious individuals who come up from, you know, who grew up in environmental failures, i.e. their caregiving was insufficient, constantly will, in the aftermath of breakups, constantly try to meet with their exes or try to replay, reread texts and emails and stuff like that as if there's some hidden story in there that can help them figure out what happens so that the feelings will go away. But all that happens is they're in fact re-triggering the emotions again and again and again. And thus, it's not about really moving on, it's about trying to figure out a way to undo the loss. Many times, when people try to meet with exes, to get a form of closure, the results are disastrous. The exes will refuse to meet, will shut down, will become curt and closed off, or even more likely, will offer explanations that are even more painful than the information that was previously available. I've uh, known many people who f feel compelled to meet and have one more conversation with someone who left a relationship or a friendship and then when they finally do uh, through repeated requests wind up meeting with this person they find out something that's far more painful and makes the experience far more wounding Literally one time I talked with someone, not somebody I was working with, but someone I uh, knew as a friend who got met with their ex because they were confused what went wrong with the relationship. And the ex basically said that they just weren't attracted anymore to this person. And in what way, shape, or form was that helpful for closure or helpful to help them move on? It just left them even feeling a greater self-wound and a greater sense of emotional pain. So, <clears throat> uh, therapists often try to help people achieve closure. Certainly I have uh, in my work in, as a Buddhist, uh, Buddhist spiritual counseling by framing events in a way that feel less personal. As I said earlier, when, when, when the events are ambiguous, when we don't, we can't summarize the, a painful event and a simple story, what winds up happening is we will, without enough information, we will make the story about us. There's something wrong with me. There's something I did that's wrong. I'm in some way unlovable. Uh, I'm too needy. I'm too much. I'm, you know, whatever. Classically, for example, um, 
around March of last year, something like 20 million Americans lost their jobs due to the pandemic. All at once, you know, due to just massive economic downturn and the fact that there's a pandemic. And I know quite a number of people who were directly affected, lost their jobs at that time. And pretty much every single one of them, even though they knew intellectually that they were downsized or lost their job uh, due to a pandemic, which was in no way their fault, that it wasn't anything wrong with the way they were performing their tasks at work or anything. They still found a way to take it personally because the events were just so abrupt. So if you work with any form of a therapist and there's unfinished business, there's events that keep popping up that still feel emotionally wounding, very often the therapist will help by framing the events in a way that's less personal. So very often, one of the most common things a therapist will say when uh, somebody talks about uh, a relationship that fell apart or a attachment figure that wasn't emotionally available or some other situation in the past, the therapist will say, do you realize that wasn't your fault? There was nothing you could do about it. In essence, the therapist is helping the client frame the story, create a narrative, create a sense of closure that's not personal. And that's one of the keys. There, the therapist rarely suggests connecting with an ex or rarely suggests looking for more information the therapist will almost invariably encourage the person to feel the feelings, talk about what they remember, and then together create an interpretation that's not personal, that's not, it was my fault. Another cause of rumination uh, is when our survival impulses for safety and justice aren't met. And that's very important to closure because part of representing the experience with a beginning, a middle, and an end that feel complete and unambiguous is when we know that a perpetrator, perpetrator or someone who's harmed us or someone who's harmed someone we care about has paid for their actions. And when they there hasn't been justice, when someone who's a perpetrator continues to roam about without any ramifications, it creates a lack of completion to the story. And therefore the left hemisphere again struggles to inhibit the return of the painful emotions, memories, feelings, etc. So sometimes in therapy, uh, therapists might help strategize actions that will create a sense of a finality or a final chapter to the experience. Uh, or sometimes the person on their own will come up with a solution. So sometimes people, a victim might take someone to court. Uh, it might entail <coughs> uh, confronting someone and demanding acknowledgement of uh, an abusive past. Sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't. Um, sometimes I have uh, 
often helped people craft uh, rituals that mark or represent losses. The right hemisphere actually understands rituals and can use rituals as a way to process grief and losses. So sometimes, you know, for instance, after a loss, doing something that represents the end of a relationship, lighting a candle or whatever, doing something that creates a symbol can help settle the story from returning. Many psychologists, on the other hand, argue that there is no such thing as closure, that emotional wounds are meant to remain, in essence, as time capsules that can be re-triggered throughout the rest of our lives, because they argue that painful events are meant to create survival impulses. So if you know, in the past, in our evolution, if we were kicked out of a, a clan and that was threat and our entire survival was threatened, we were meant to remember and meant to re-experience at times the fear of social exclusion because it it activates defenses in some way and helps us prepare in the future. Attempts at closure, some therapists argue, are simply attempts at repression. That seeking a definitive way to finalize grief and move on diminishes the importance of the grieving process. According to the great psychologist John Bowlby, grieving is the only way that we can essentially um, let go of attachments that have been broken. And we're meant, according to Bowlby, it's meant to be an ongoing practice that gets, or ongoing event, that doesn't truly ever go away. The spaces between grief increase and the intensity of the grief might diminish. But the idea that we're supposed to get to a place where we can fully no longer be subject to the return of the feelings um, is a debatable theme and from most therapeutic perspectives. Sometimes painful events, uh, closure is absolutely impossible in the sense that if someone experiences a near-death event, generally what happens is the left hippocampus is completely overwhelmed by uh, a flood of neurotransmitters and hormones and peptides. It becomes so overwhelmed that it shuts down. And the only thing that is working to, recall, to, re, to essentially assign memories is the right amygdala. And all of the memories of the events are now unconscious. They're stored in the right temporal lobe. We're not capable of turning it into a story because we don't remember what happened. So people who are in horrific car accidents or violently attacked or who are in a war situation and are in a Humvee that gets blown up or et cetera, or see someone that they're attached to get wounded horrifically, the experience 
releases so many neurotransmitters and creates such an intensity in the nervous system where both now the sympathetic and parasympathetic are grinding at full speed that no memories are stored consciously and as a result closure can't happen really because there's no representation there's no story to be built because we weren't present for the event more commonly than that Closure is often compromised because people cut off grief too quickly. Grief, as I noted just a moment ago, is there to help the right hemisphere process losses and painful events. Sometimes people will inhibit or cut off the grieving that's necessary for fully processing or resolving an event. They will get angry and infuriated rather than feel the sadness and the grief of a loss. Sometimes people will, will repress grieving through drugs, alcohol, through numbing distractions like simply numbing into watching TV. And sometimes people will repress grief by moving too quickly back into the daily routines that preceded the traumatic event. They'll go back to work too quickly. They'll go back into their daily routines. They won't acknowledge. Classically, people will do that if they receive a very scary diagno medical diagnosis. They'll go back to work as if nothing had happened. And <clears throat> the idea is to repress the grief and the sadness and the fear. But what happens is it only intensifies the rumination and the uh, tendency of the uh, the uh, the the story to keep popping up again and again and again so one of the major themes in establishing closure today is not top-down where in the past almost all therapy was about carving a story that would represent the experience so that the feelings would go away. Today, more commonly in all forms of therapy is to focus on the affects that might have gotten cut off in the aftermath of a traumatic event, specifically grief. Fully feeling sadness, grief, fear, rather than simply trying to summarize the experience in a story so that the feelings will go away. The key becomes to create a safe holding space for individuals to process the unresolved emotions that stem from our interpersonal wounds and traumatic events. So it's about creating an environment that's filled with safety cues, a kind therapist's face, a soothing environment, a room that is open and spacious where a person feels really safe. And then over time, encouraging the images to come up and then to simply explore the feelings that were never truly fully felt the grief or the sadness that was cut off. We benefit by 
allowing our affects because affects or emotions and feelings are survival impulses and it's only when they are truly allowed to uh, display, arise, move through the body and then slowly pass through being through tremor or being shaked out or just being softly released that we truly can establish a kind of closure that allows us to not be caught up in the endless rumination of trying to figure out what happened. So, uh, tonight's meditation, we're going to be doing a practice of gently using some imagery to bring back up experiences that we don't haven't achieved a, a real sense of resolution that still feel unfinished and we're going to then explore the affects that may have been not fully um, experienced in the body as a way to develop another way to go about seeking resolution after painful events in life. So I hope that talk was of some worth to you in some way. And now what we're going to do is we're going to practice. So thanks for listening. And uh, before we go into our seated position, just want to remind you that uh, if you are uh, uh, capable of supporting uh, Buddhist pastor uh, or you know so many of us obviously aren't given the pandemic but if you would and you are capable of supporting my work which is entirely supported by donation the Venmo is Dharma Punks NYC and that's the entirety of that spiel so find a really comfortable seated position and hopefully one that's upright And uh, I'm going to take off my glasses and uh, close my eyes. And just ask one first, can we make our posture even more comfortable? What do we need to do to um, just find even more ease and comfort? And generally, the way I um, do that is by just trying to find a really good balance. The more my body is balanced, the less effort my muscles have to put in to keep myself upright. If you're lying down, which is okay, if you're lying on a bed or a cushion or a couch, just see if you can release all of your muscles into just truly be supported. So there's no longer any resistance, no longer any tension, especially tension, especially around the uh, <clears throat> shoulders and the neck. Those areas of the body can uh, keep this kind of chronic clenching going on. And just uh, 
just asking what is it like right now what is it what's going on right now in me generally when someone asks what's happening what's going on we tell the story of events we don't really focus on just what's happening internally so what I mean when I ask what's going on with me does the mind feel relaxed or jumpy does the mind feel bright or dark is there a sense of spaciousness in the mind or does the mind feel very <clears throat> constricted and tight these are the questions the Buddha originally suggested in the third foundation of mindfulness does the mind feel optimistic or sad is there a prevalent mood And then we can also reflect on the second foundation as well. What, what are the feelings right now? Do I feel comfortable or uncomfortable? Do I want more of this moment or do I want this moment to pass? Is my body in a place of a state of resistance like of the stomach being tight or the shoulders being tense and restricted or is the belly soft the shoulders relaxed the chest feels warm full of energy most important is don't resist any change in any change at all when something comes up a feeling of energy maybe some feeling that might be uncomfortable or an impulse to move whatever 
is appearing, just allow it to express itself in the body while we relax into the present. Trying to open our awareness to all the sensations in the body. Some people do this by following the breath as it moves up from, the energy moves up from the abdomen up into the chest and then as the exhalation starts the release of energy flowing back down from the chest to the belly so being aware of all the things we're not normally aware of little tingling sensations that may be somewhere down around the feet or the knees the sensations of soothing calm perhaps in the palms of the hands the twitchy movement of the eyes behind the eyelids or the tongue in the mouth
See if we can settle the eyelids behind the eyes behind the eyelids. Settle the tongue and the mouth. Releasing any of the held over stress from the day that preceded our practice. When the eyes settle, the tongue settles, when the, the sense of movement in the body begins to dissipate, then we can truly land in our life. We can truly reconnect with the present. We can begin to take care of ourselves internally and we can then begin to become aware of what needs attention and care. But all it requires is a willingness to come to a stop. The busier, the more movement, the more we're trying to get through each moment of our life to somewhere else creates an instability that where we cannot express any compassion or kindness for ourselves, nor can we turn towards that which needs our attention.
So let's try to have a nice, complete, full in-breath, and then a very long exhalation. One more in-breath where we just feel the energy moving up through the body and then the long release, just allowing everything to settle. The shoulders drop any tightness in the muscles in the face begin to be released. Third in-breath. And then really letting go of anything that, anything that still feels clenched. And so for those who want to move on to the second part of this practice, just bring to mind not a story, but an image that represents a painful or disappointing emotional event, nothing too traumatic, just a unfortunate interpersonal event. Again, we don't want to try to alone in our practice work through the traumatic. We just want to right now focus on something that was unsettling just bring to mind maybe the image of someone who suddenly grew distant, disconnected, or there was just a what seems like an inexplicable turn of events. In essence, bring to mind the image of someone where there's still a sense of confusion or lack of clarity. And of course, where there's that confusion and lack of clarity, it means that at times the story will continuously pop up. And right now we're just working with the image. We're not trying to figure out what happened. We're trying to get emotional closure or at least emotional resolution. So holding in mind an image of this person that in some way feels right, that it represents this difficult experience, just see if you can recognize even the most subtle expression of a feeling associated with this person, with this experience. 
looking into the body, looking for maybe a sense of tightness in the belly or a kind of clenching in the throat or a kind of uh, coldness or hollowness in the heart center or a feeling of trembling in the eyes or the corners of the mouth or maybe just a sudden sense of energy being stuck, just any sudden or slight shift, I should say, associated with this image. And just allow this feeling to continue, not trying to in any way, just creating an interested, curious attention to anything that we feel. Maybe it's a shift in the mind. Maybe suddenly the mind becomes jumpy or uncomfortable or uh, restless when we bring to mind this image. But just allow And do whatever we can not to lose track of the feelings, no matter how subtle they are or how intense they are, just to be with whatever expresses itself. If it feels unpleasant, try to find a soothing sensation in your environment, a sound or a feeling of comfort somewhere else in the body so that you can stay with whatever needs to be felt. It might just be an overall sense of tiredness. Sadness can express itself in endless gradations and shadings. There's no uniform representation of grief or sadness or loneliness or loss or whatever the feeling might be characterized by. And um, lastly, just pay attention. Is there any way we can make ourselves as comfortable as possible and take care of ourselves while we open to whatever emotional impulses might have been cut off as we just become present with hopefully the vulnerable feelings beneath 
the stories beneath the secondary emotions that cover up the real true feelings of loss or disappointment. So, uh, in a moment, I'm going to just ring the bowl and take as much time as you like to begin to become aware of the environment around you and try not to cut off whatever you might have connected with. Just allow it to be there so that there's still a part of your awareness paying attention to your internal experience. Mm -hmm. 